Now, practicing is not always going to be fun, but when we are making music, if you're not feeling joy and having fun, then something is wrong. Something is wrong. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Teresa May. Teresa, well, she's on a mission. From her early experiences in the Salvation Army Band to her current work with the group Mourning a Black Star, Teresa has always understood the power of music. After earning her master's degree in music performance from the Cincinnati University Conservatory of Music, Teresa has made it her mission to spread the gospel of music's ability to change the world and to be a bold voice for the underrepresented. So, pour yourself a big glass, flip a chair, and let the hang begin! And uh, we are back with another episode of the Trumpet Bureau's Hang, and I am going back to my home state for this, uh, back to OH. Uh, I am joined by Teresa May. Teresa, it is a pleasure to meet you. Hi. I, oh, I had to like get that in, but yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. great to meet you as well. All right. Well, awesome. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's always great to, to meet a uh, fellow Buckeye. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Cleveland music scene, uh, I mean, I, I haven't lived in Ohio for a number of years, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I was originally from Columbus, uh, but, um, there's always, Cleveland has always been a music town. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what's shaking up there? I mean, what, what's new and, and happening? Yeah. Um, so I, I had this conversation kind of frequently, um, with like colleagues and people in the area. And I'm convinced that there is something in the water up here. <laughs> I, I think, you know, like we're, we're really close to the lake. We're surrounded by a good amount of water. I feel like something has to be there, but um, it's, a, it's a great like music field city with a lot of different kind of niche and pockets of different types of music and art. So it's very cool and special up here, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, people know for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff like that. But, but that that there's some some really interesting stuff that goes on, like not just in Cleveland, but then also in northeastern Ohio. Like, uh, you know, you get over to Youngstown, which is not a great town, but hey, Sean yeah. Jones is from Youngstown, so you know, it's when, a fact. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. but um, you know the. the the, I guess the, the the question I wanted to ask you was, you know, as as you know, you're you're teaching, you're playing, you're doing, uh-huh. you're doing all that sort of stuff. Um, what do you see as, as kind of being the uh, the driving force in that well, area? Um, I think that. I mean, and maybe it's just true for for other cities. I've really only largely lived in Cleveland besides when I went away for school and I was still in Ohio. But um, Cleveland definitely in Ohio has this like grit to us. I think that makes the art and our kind of work ethic um, just is what it is. I found for me that the the scene here is really quite supportive. Um, You know, you can go to a concert every day 
of the week and and hear something different every night <clears throat> we've got like a um a jazz scene obviously we've got the classical scene uh popping we've got the experimental music there's you know jam nights and uh art music and contemporary music and really anything that you might want to get into i think there's a pocket and a scene for that here um i found that i'm able to get into whatever i might like at the time, you know, ebbing and flowing into different scenes and through different scenes and um, able to do that in, in a supportive community. I'm not certain it's like that everywhere. <laughs> and I could be just extremely lucky, but that's been my experience here. Yeah. Well, it, you know, the, I think having that, that, uh, variety mm -hmm. is so important you know um and yeah I, I like what you said about the grit because i mean even when i think about like some of the bands uh the pop bands that have come out of ohio i mean uh, particularly like you know, the, the the funk and and stuff like that you know the, the stuff yeah. came out of cleveland or cleveland cincinnati dayton, dayton you know, yep. mm -hmm. that, you know hey bootsy collins come on you can't you can't go wrong with, with, with folk exactly. like that but yeah, it, it, I like we said about that the the grittiness and it's like that that Midwest, which I never understood why we call it Midwest. <laughs> yeah, we're just straight away from the from the ocean. Right. Uh, but uh, but that kind of uh, nose to the grindstone, hardworking, you know, just kind of grind it out sort of sort of thing. That that there's something about that 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 comes through in the music. Uh, yeah. And that that's always kind of a, appealed to me. I mean, certainly I love the polish of LA, but mm -hmm. uh, I like I like a little I like a little grit. I like a little grease in, yeah. in what I'm doing, you know. So, so it's, like that, you know? Uh, it's like the stacks versus Motown thing. Like <laughs> the stacks was the more grit, more heart, and Motown everything was super polished, and, and it, they were both hits. It's still great. It's all good, but definitely kind of a different feel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for me, for like for, for my music, uh, and you know, maybe it's just my excuse for just being sloppy when I play. <laughs> you know, I just I just like to hear the the rawness and the realness of things because to me, music is it, it is an expression. It's an emotional expression, and um, you know that that grit to me is is the real. You know. Yeah. And, yeah, so so like for you growing up, I mean, what what were some of the influences that that got you going in the direction that you're, that you're currently on? Mm. Um, well, my my household, I'm sure, had a lot to to do with that, and me growing up um, as a member of the Salvation Army. So my my childhood was filled with like Salvation Army brass band music, um, like those were my first brass sounds that I heard was that of the cornet <clears throat> and like Salvation Army brass band playing a super silky and like glorious brass band sounds and then you know also coming from um my family is black and listening to black music at cookouts and parties in the basements you know so there was Slide and Family Stone, there was Anita Baker, there was, I don't know, all the black music <laughs> that my parents listened to, that they made us listen to, or, you know, that my aunties and uncles listened to. So that was kind of a cool mix for me uh, of music um, 
growing up, you know, those were those sounds and that type of music was in my ear, in my ear and in my heart um, growing up. Yeah. Well, and and how how has that impacted, you know, the stuff you're doing right now? I mean, what what, what how are you pulling those influences together? Yeah, it's kind of come full circle for me um, because I was uh, 100% on the classical music path after high school and such. And I moved back to Cleveland. I was still doing the classical music thing um, for a majority of it until I just started taking any gig, really. <laughs> and that opened my world up to everything and, and salsa and still doing orchestral playing. Um, and it led me to a band that I play in with now called Morning a Black Star. And in this band, we kind of, it feels like we, we do it all. It's really great mix of original, it's all original music, but our influence come from all the music that the eight of us collectively listen to. Um, so me, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and Freddie Hubbard and Clifford Brown, but also classical stuff. Um, we have one of our vocalists is um, like she likes to sing uh, rock music and was one of like the first black woman rock vocalist here in Cleveland when she moved back from, from LA to, back to Cleveland. Um, so you've got my background merged with her background. And then we have someone who's uh, into electronic music. Um, he, he largely does our, beat, our beats. So like we have this whole hodgepodge of musicians and all of our backgrounds, mine included, of course, just comes out in the music that we create. So it really has come like full cir circle for me, just listening to all these different types of music to me now being able to create and like everything, even if we don't, think things influence us like literally everything that we have heard or experiences influences us so it comes out in all these different ways and for us when when this band is called morning a black star when we're creating it's literally like all of our backgrounds and all of who we are coming together to create like magic <laughs> so it's really quite quite cool so i see that kind of each time we perform and each time we create yeah well you know it I think that like, when we talk about music as being uh, a method of communication, mm. um, yeah, all, all that we are, all that we experience uh, influences who we are. And then, and then when we're being true, when we're being real about mm. ourselves, uh, that comes out in, in our, our communication. So uh, as a musician, um, you know, all of these different influences, I think that's, that's where we create the really cool stuff yeah you know, we go back to you know, like the origins of jazz uh you know the how how jazz came about and, and what were the influences that, that created the music that we now call jazz and then how that has evolved and you go from you know you go from dixieland and swing mm -hmm. to you know bop to cool jazz to uh, you know, fusion, you know, so all these different influences begin to, to creep in yep. and uh, then you, you, you evolve the art form. And to me, it, it's kind of an interesting conversation to have, particularly with people who uh, are well-versed in the classical world, mm -hmm. also within uh, the commercial world and the jazz world, yeah. uh, you know, 
some people have a hard time justifying or juxtapositioning those things. Mm. They see them as being so separate that you, know, you have to have these kind of hard and fast lines. And then yeah. you people that, that are looking at it from more of a global perspective and saying, well, they're all just kind of different waves of speaking. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how can I how can I pull from this and make what I do that much better? So like, what are what are the biggest lessons that that's like you learned from your orchestral playing, uh, and then how has that impacted your your jazz chops, for example? Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing that I learned in my classical playing and training was like the amount of listening. Um, that I did as a student, and this is like, you know, listening to orchestral pieces to when you're actually in the setting to listening to everything that's going on around you. And that's literally something that you have to do in every setting, no matter what type of music you're playing and kind of even more so when we don't have music in front of us, like using using my ears with something um, and, and listening to the room and everyone around me, uh, I think was one of the most important things that I that I had to learn. Also, um, that was a big thing in the Slavish Army brass band, brass band playing um, because we are taught, you know, like, the cornet section, even if there are eight uh, first row trumpets, then we need to sound like one <laughs> cornet. It's not, you know, so blending is a huge part of that and listening to uh, the, the, the section and then listening outward to the rest of the ensemble. Uh, that's something I use in, in all the groups that I play with now. I think that's really important. Yeah. So, you know, that that is one aspect so then you know how how about like the influences of uh you know, like you know sly and and uh you know prince and, and all, yeah. All, all those, yeah yeah all the, the like the 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 r b the soul the you know the pop music how how has that impacted you the groove has to be there uh no matter what genre of music there is definitely a groove and if you if you ain't got it, then <laughs> it's you can hear it um, no matter what style of music you, you're playing. And that, you know, I still think that goes back to to using using our ears more and listening to everything around us. But, you know, also just realizing and hearing the, the different groove that's in the different types of music. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know. Like, you know, going back, I think this is going to be the end, of, end up being the main theme of our conversation today <laughs> is about um, the communication in, uh, mm. of, of music. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning uh, that, you know, music is, is very interesting in that it's, um, it's, it is an art form mm -hmm. and, um, and it, uh, it's also an uh, it's a form of entertainment, uh -huh. um, but it also has the ability to be an agent for social change. Uh -huh. And, you know, when we go back and look at, at, at the role that music has played uh, throughout history, but particularly as it has affected us uh, here uh, in the United States, uh, so for for you know the the global listening audience, uh, you know this is definitely part you know, part of the the American culture. But yeah. um, how 
you know, as we looked at the, particularly in the black community, mm -hmm. uh, how music has, you know, from, from the days of slavery has been such a huge part of our culture. And, um, you know, it, it's been something that's helped us get through the hardships. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a huge part of the, of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, even, you know, for non uh, black music for uh, for like folk music and rock music is it, part of the uh, the cultural shifts you know that occurred like during uh, Woodstock uh, the you know the, the all these different cultural shifts tend to have a music that is associated with it um, so you know everybody comes into music from from a different perspective and with a different focus. Uh, and not everybody is interested in making a statement with their music. Yeah. Uh, is that something that's important to you? And, and if it is, what, what's the statement you're trying to make? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think that now it definitely is important to me and is um, something I do intentionally in some of my projects and in some of my music. Um, like you said, like most, a lot of music and a lot of music that became popular was at first just protest music. It was like, you know, us human beings speaking about the, like speaking about the shittiness of the human experience and that um, because it's so relatable became popular. And um, so, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of great music is protest music um, and goes hand in hand with a lot of the movements <clears throat> that that are present and that have come and, and kind of gone. Um, as I mean, I'm in my I'm in my late 30s, and I I, I um, just looking back on how and why I used to make music when I was younger is totally well not totally different, but it is different now that I've had a, a little bit more of a chance to live and experience sometimes like the harsh realities of being a black woman here in the United States. Um, so I say that to say, um, because of my human experience, it's absolutely uh, a part of my music making. And also when, um, when I am not intentionally making music like with this, with Morning at Blackstar, we are often asked if we are a political band or we're uh, automatically like given that that title when we are just speaking about our lives, but people take that as automatically being political. So even if we're not trying to be political, sometimes, you know, people take our uh, lyrics to, to the songs and then make it a political statement. <laughs> and that's like, oh, that's also an aspect of being black in America. So um, everything we're experiencing as, as black humans here comes out in, into our art um, oftentimes. And I mean, right now I'm doing a project called Afrofuturism, Black Lives Will Exist in the Future. And, and that is, like a kind of a mantra for me to know that my life is important and that I will continue to exist and my brothers and sisters, uh, musicians or otherwise are also out here uh, just trying to exist and live our lives um, with less and less of the, the racial um, terribleness that still exists in the world. 
Um, so I think that is really hard to be an artist and um, kind of what that what it means to be an artist and not have things like that affect our music and affect the things that we speak in and perform about. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I, I think that when you're being true to yourself, you know, if, if you're, if, whether it be uh, in the process of composition or improvisation or things like that, that, um, you know, when you're being true to yourself, like you said, your experiences have to come out in your music. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a difference between the, when we think politics or politicizing things, it's usually like the polarization sort of thing. It's like the part, you know, the toe in a party line sort mm -hmm. of instead of saying you know it, it, it's that expression of this is my reality yeah, yeah. This, these are my experiences this is this is the way that you know i've i've experienced life this is the way i see life and just letting that come through whether it's the joy of it or it's mm -hmm. the, the sorrow of it um so i yeah i, I kind of feel like uh the the music that is going to be the most lasting is going to be that music that that touches those chords. I mean, it's got to be you know more than just. And I love party music. You know, mm -hmm. I really love party music. But uh, you know, while while I love uh, you know, say I, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, mm -hmm. of course, yeah. If you're a trumpet player, you got to love Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's like yeah, sure. You know, uh, tunes like September and Let's Groove. We all know those, and and. Mm -hmm. Like that but of the songs their songs you know i certainly love them i play them all the time <laughs> but the, the ones that speak to me the most are the ones that kind of have a deeper message than just you know the the feel good you know danceable stuff you know the stuff yeah. that's like those those deeper statements about you know like that's the way of the world you know that's one of my favorite tunes of all times not just because of uh i mean I, it one it's a great song i mean the 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 lyrics are great the mm -hmm. you know the harmonies and the melody and the arrangements and everything is so great uh mm -hmm. but it's that idea you know what what it represents um you know that that is what gets into my heart and stays in my heart more than just what gets into my ass <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> but you know like for you um you know you've got your involvement with 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 mourning a black star and uh but you you, you know there's also you've got the kind of like, i hate to say this kind of like the double whammy you know <laughs> so you, you are you are a minority woman and mm -hmm. that's like okay two strikes <laughs> yeah uh, which is very unfortunate and uh you know so for you as as you're experiencing life as uh, a a young black woman trumpet mm -hmm. player mm -hmm. that, that that's three and a half strikes i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know like, what are some of the things that you see like in terms of the industry and uh, you know the 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 social stigmas, whether they be positive or negative, that that, that come along with your position. Yeah, um, I think largely, and I I have to say now um, I experience negative things a lot less now. 
um, which I am super thankful for. <laughs> it still happens, of course, but me personally, I feel like I don't experience um, like kind of outrageous things as much as they used to um, like five, 10 years ago for me. But it is still very much seen as a novelty to be a woman trumpet player, which like, I just feel like at this point, that's such an old and tired thing. <laughs> And so whenever I feel like that, I'm like, really? Like, you've never seen any women trumpet players? But also, it it still happens where a lot of people don't experience that. Um, I've been in situations where they um, don't believe I am the trumpet player, I am the vocalist or the flautist. Um, I've been asked with horn in my hand, oh, you actually know how to use that thing? So it can be very um, just tiresome. But I've, I've luckily, I mean, also my, my mom is a retired Cleveland police officer and I'm 4'11", <laughs> so that might be another strike. Um, my mom is like 5'2 on a good day. Uh, so I, you know, as a child, I saw my mom navigate her, her world as a Black woman police officer in Cleveland, which is rough. Uh, it was rough, um, but I, I know for sure that impacted the way I am now as a Black woman trumpet player and freelancer out here, and just as a Black woman in general. Um, I also had, you know, my, I had great and have great parents. My father, um, growing up, he's a trumpet player as well. He always told me that, you know, people are going to think that you can't play, and I was kind of already ready as I could be for those situations because of my father telling me these things when I was quite young. Like I started playing trumpet when I was nine. We probably started having these conversations um, when I was 11, 12. Um, so when I did experience these things, I was kind of braced for them, um, kind of. Uh, also, and seeing my mom have to navigate herself um, on the field as a police woman um, with, you know, community and with other police officers it was uh, like a really great lessons for me that I didn't even realize it until I was uh, like out of college and experiencing the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it still happens. The uh, the novelty thing and then also just people not expecting you to play as well or to have such a big sound so yeah but at this point it's just like it's just old like I don't know what to what else to say about that <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah really yeah you know, 2022 and we're still yeah. having this conversation and, yeah. and, and, and yeah I, and I kind of in a way I hate it because every time I have a female trumpet player on on the hang mm -hmm. I kind of always ask a question related to that and I hate to have to ask the question but it's still a question I think that needs to be brought up and it needs to be yeah. because there's still too many people out there that that have these these judgments it's like yeah. well and especially like in the world of commercial music mm -hmm. you know um and I have a, a good friend and she's been on the show. Actually, she's the composer and the performer of our theme song, uh, Lexi Signor. Uh, Lexi is a, is a, is a fantastic trumpet player, uh, particularly as a lead trumpet player. She is, she is a very, very great player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, 
she has told me and, and friends that, that have been on gigs with her I and mean, people will say stuff like the, the stupidest comment, which is usually like, wow, you know, you, you play really well for a woman, you know, like, you know, like you're, you're, you play lead trumpet and you're a girl. Wow. Yep. And then you look at people like Lisa Whitaker and, and, you know, uh, you know Lori Frank, you know, these yeah. who just like completely crushed lead books. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people are like, you can't do that. You're a girl. <laughs> Why the hell not? Yeah. 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 So, and it, it, I mean, it's definitely a subject that um, it still needs to be talked about. And I, I have one, I have a student who is in high school and going through similar things. And we were talking and in my head, I'm like, really? Even, you know, I, I have such hope for uh, younger generations, but it's still prevalent here with, and it starts when, when we're young, like these types of cultural norm, norms happen when we're, when we're young. And again, it's still, it's still happening and still breeding in places. Uh, because I still I have to talk to my students about this and as young as my high school um, female and women students so yeah it's definitely still something that persists unfortunately in our community yeah well you know just kind of keeping on this topic for for a couple more minutes um you know whether whether it be uh, women's rights, uh, you know, racial rights, uh, gender rights, uh, you know, uh, wh whatever it is, um, there's there's identification. You, you have to first identify that there is a problem. You have to mm -hmm. admit that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. You have to identify what is the problem, what is the cause of the problem, and then you have to find viable solutions. And I think with every solution, there you have to take a two pronged approach. One approach is what do you need to do, like the mm -hmm. outside people, and then what do I need to do the, the yeah. individualistic uh, responsibility that comes along with that. Yeah. So, you know, if we're, if we're talking about the, the, the Trump community, uh, you know, it, it, and sometimes this is like the, the reverse stereotype, you know, if, if you are a black trumpet player, uh, yeah. you are expected to be, you know, you're, you know, people, if you, if you go out there and blow some, some killer bebop as a black male musician, they, they would just, they'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe if I was playing classical, it would be a different thing. Like, wow, you know, he's a principal trumpet player. Yeah, yeah. You, know? Yeah. Uh, you know, so so in the in the commercial world, you know, all right, well, as 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 a person of color, being able to play culturally appropriate music mm -hmm. is a given. Uh, but as a female, sometimes it is not. So, mm -hmm. you know, what are the things that we, like the trumpet community, what are some of the things that we can do? to better uh, tear down those walls, uh, to make it easier for this next generation of young female trumpet players to uh, feel like this is a safe environment for them. Uh, and then, you know, what is it that you in particular are doing to make that difference? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Mm, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I'm not gonna say I think I have all the answers, <laughs> but I think um, what is most important is that like, you know, most of us musicians, we have friends that are also musicians. If you have a good friend and colleague that you see just not doing the right things, you have to talk to them. Um, there are things that some people will receive information differently, you know? So if I'm on a gig and something um, like racist happens or something, um, happens because I'm a woman on 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 stage or in the band I have options right I could either say something in that moment to address the situation or I could not say something in that moment and continue on with my my gig and performance so I'm in the best headspace to play as best as I can and when I have situations <clears throat> those are my two options and Oftentimes I will choose to forge ahead because it is more important that I play really fucking well <laughs> than it is to address that situation in the moment. But if you have a friend that is seeing things happen in the moment and they know that it's not a good way to behave, then it is up to the people in your circle and your friends to call you out. Um, I know, uh, you know, as, as, me being who I am, I, I am not, nor should I have to always take that burden of having to correct people because, you know, I'm, I'm on the job just like you are and trying to play the best of my ability. Um, so I think the most important thing is for, you know, if you have good friends and colleagues and you see that they're not, uh, their actions are not aligning with what we as a as a music community need to make make our community better then you need to pull your friend aside and have that conversation with them and it's a hard conversation to have but that's what needs to happen i think secondly is that um everyone just needs to make greater efforts to hire women i literally made a post uh a facebook post uh maybe about a month ago about how um people should hire more women because we're out here and the very next day someone called me for a gig <laughs> and I took it I was like yay yes maybe they saw that post I don't know but um in my mind that that was the scenario I don't know if that's actually what happened but <laughs> um that's you know a second great thing like hire people take a chance on people that you don't that you don't know and that's another thing like we get so comfortable working with and hiring the same people I understand um, but you got to take chances on other people sometimes. That's another thing too. Sometimes uh, people get uh, really great positions and then they stay there like forever. <laughs> but I think, you know, spreading the love around and giving other people some chances is, is a really great thing. It's like the, um, the scarcity uh, effect or like people being afraid to not have enough work, but there's work for all of us. <laughs> so yeah. I think those those things outwardly like everyone could do and to and do their part and do our part do my part mm -hmm. me personally 
Um, <clears throat> I think as a, as a teacher and, that, and an educator, um, a lot of what I try to do to make our community better is with my teaching and just existing it's kind of like a late, that's kind of a lazy excuse, but kind of just ex <laughs> existing is in, important. It's important for other, other young women to see me out here doing what I'd like to do and playing well um, and kind of making a path and, and following in the path that's already been started uh, with other women that have come before me and just continuing that path. Um, I'm a founding member of the Chromatic Brass Collective. We are uh, an organization for women and non-binary uh, brass players of, of color. Um, and we are a community for ourselves. So, uh, you know, we have that community and village of people who understand what we go through as minority uh brass players and so that's important to have too um so being a part of that is is another way that me personally try to make our community a, a better and just safer space to to thrive um because you can't really create at 100 percent if you don't feel safe in the environment you know so that's like another added and needed level of of uh what we need to to exist and create freely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's definitely I, it's like that that conversation. I just like I said, I just hate having it because yeah. you would think by now we we'd be past a lot of this stuff. And yeah, sometimes I have to put myself in check because I'll I'll, I'll find myself thinking those thoughts of like, oh, that was pretty good for a blank, <laughs> you know, uh, but. You know, it, it's it's just being a yeah. You like I said, you first have to be aware that there is a problem, and mm -hmm. then you know, start taking the steps towards it. And it sounds like you've got some some really great things going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but like you said, you know, being the example is so important. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, as you were talking about your parents, you know, you get you have a you have a mother uh, who is a, a diminutive female and uh in in a police force in cleveland is not you know <laughs> being a police uh, officer in cleveland is is not like you know being a police officer in the you know iowa city or something like that yeah yeah yep. It, yeah it, it's got it's got its grittiness to it uh and a father who's a trumpet player so you know obviously then you you had two very strong influences on you mm -hmm. uh in what has led you to be the person you are today uh yeah. so uh obviously you know your mom is giving you some toughness uh mm -hmm. you know that that grit and uh you know for your was your dad like one of your teachers as you were growing up uh you know and and what, what are some of the big things that you took away from from him as as a trumpet player mm. yeah my dad was my my first teacher um I don't, I mean, I had, I had lessons um, kind of throughout, throughout my childhood, but I didn't really take it seriously into college. Um, but my father would, uh, we'd play duets together all the time. So um, I think it wasn't uh, maybe lessons per se, but we played a lot together. He would pull out these uh, duet books that were like way above what I could actually do and make me play them. <laughs> and I would get so frustrated. 
but obviously I think it was good for me to try to play all these hard duets and um, now I can like turn back on my father because he doesn't play as much anymore so I now make him play hard duets with me <laughs> payback but um yeah I think um, kind of the simplicity of of just playing duets and seeing music that <clears throat> excuse me look really challenging in front of me um but I like that I think helped me in other situations where you're just thrown some music that you're like what is this and then you just do it so that made me more comfortable in situations like that um and just being able to to go for it and do it and see what happens um I think the mm, the maybe biggest thing I learned from my father as a trumpet player is um like the the work ethic involved and in, in, like knowing what to do um not I hate to say to become successful because like what is that even but <laughs> at least to have a career um as a freelance musician like I, I knew that I had to work hard I knew that I had to practice um these were kind of the, the non-negotiables um and even I didn't really apply that again into college, but I knew that these were the things that I had to do if I wanted to make a career out of out of trumpet playing and freelancing. Um, and then like the, the, the basic sound um, came largely from my my father and then the Salvation Army um, training and, and brass band playing like my father was a bandmaster in the Salvation Army so he was the band leader in church and um for the division he led the youth band so kind of just just seeing that leadership is kind of I what I see in myself as a adult trumpet playing freelancer teacher educator <laughs> people often say we have the same mannerisms as well <laughs> that, that could either be a good thing or a bad thing so yeah <laughs> we'll say it's good it's all good it's a, it's a good thing it's a good thing <laughs> is your dad still still alive yeah does he, st he still plays not so much he has um actually he's re retiring again he's retired from his um official job he used to work for the county um but he has a band a big band called gabriel's horns and that's been in existence since about mm, 1999 or so. And um, he's giving one last concert um, next month in November to so he can finally retire, retire, retire. So mm -hmm. he's, he's not playing so much unless I force him to play duets with me, which we'll do a couple times a year. Um, <laughs> but he conducts the band um, Gabriel's horns, and I'm hoping he plays more when he retires. Oh, oh that's good. So, how <laughs> how does he feel about uh, about you being a professional musician? Mm. Um, he's really proud of me. <laughs> uh, he's um, we talk of, or he's mentioned like my seeing my path and seeing me grow from, uh, you know, the more shy person and trumpet player to how I am now and how kind of cool it is to see that that growth happen you know because that's what can happen and generally happens as you get older um 
so I know he's proud of that. He's proud that I've carried on um, like the uh, musician side. My brother's in the Air Force, so or freshly retired from the Air Force. So we kind of say that my father, my brother followed in my mom's footsteps and I followed more and after my father's with the musical path. So it's cool to see that. Yeah, yeah, that is. Well, you know, it, it, we, we all have to find our own path. And, you know, I think a, a huge part of, of, of what we're saying, you know, as we mentioned earlier about being the example and, you know, having, having someone in your house who uh, could help to introduce you to the concepts, uh, sound, you know, playing the duets, you know, understanding the, the importance of, of practicing and things like that. Uh, yeah, that, that definitely gave you a leg up. Uh, now, there are a lot of people that had, you know, all those opportunities and more and squandered them because mm -hmm. they didn't take advantage of them. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just nice. And I think particularly in terms of, of things like sound, mm -hmm. uh, because when when music in general, but trumpet specifically is part of your your life, like when mm -hmm. you're growing up. Uh, it just makes it that much easier to, to have those concepts. Um, yeah. My dad was a musician uh, in his earlier stages of his career, he became a minister later in life. But he was, uh, you know, I always had music uh, in the house. And, and from him, I picked up like arranging concepts and things like that, because he, he did a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I look at it as like, okay, well, all of these things that were going on when I wasn't paying attention okay. consciously, they, they just got sucked in my subconscious. I remember the first time I sat down to write a chart. Um, it's like, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I watched my dad do it so many times that it was, it was just like, Oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, So, yeah. So having those influence, I think is so great, but you know, there, I'm sure then, you know, that was your foundation, but, but who were some of the other people that kind of like, helped you to develop into into the player that you are in terms of like your your sound concepts or your approach concepts yeah. um my other large influence from of my like like of trumpet and also just knowing what career uh, and what kind of path I wanted to take is uh goes to my undergraduate trumpet professor um Dr. Patrick Reynolds he was really pivotal for me um when I, I basically went into music after high school because, well, I, I had been doing music, you know, trumpet and cornet my entire life at that point. And I tried to figure out a different field that I could get my um, degree in because I was like, all right, I've been playing trumpet for a while now. What else can I do? Um, so I went into the field of music therapy and I was set on like, you know, getting my, my degree in certification as a music therapist. And I was almost done with that. <laughs> the very last moment in like the fourth year, third and a half, um, three and a half years of my undergrad career, I switched from um, music therapy to trumpet performance I uh, really enjoyed playing trumpet. Um, I found myself just practicing trumpet and enjoying it 
and wanting to get better. I had a, re a really great relationship with my professor, Dr. Reynolds, and it was a great experience, but I also realized that I wasn't practicing the things that I needed to for music therapy, which was guitar and piano. Um, so I struggled uh, for a while just figuring out what I really, really wanted to do, mainly because, again, I was just I was trying to figure out what else I could do besides cornet or trumpet when I went in, into um, into college. But I came right back to it. Um, so I, I, I know that because I enjoyed um lessons and playing and uh like playing in a smaller chamber ensembles I really enjoyed that is when I, I realized that okay I think I want to just try this out so um Dr. Reynolds was a huge part of me kind of finding my way to that and realizing that I really just wanted to play my horn um and and knowing that I could do this um, you know, if I did all the, the things that I needed to. Uh, we also, I remember uh, working a lot on sound and kind of refining my sound. So while I had a great foundation, um, I knew what I wanted to sound like when I was quite young. I knew what a good sound was to me. I was able to refine that with Dr. Reynolds in her lessons. Um, I, I was at the University of Dayton. So I feel like that's where I really found out that I wanted to pursue um, trumpet as a career. Yeah. So who, were there uh, like any uh, key professionals, you know, like working uh, big name artists that uh, that you kind of like, yeah, this, this, this is a person that I'd kind of like to, to, uh, to get their vibe, you know, the, yeah, I, I know I've, I've had a, a few over, over the course of my, my life that uh, that have really kind of sparked me and inspired me, but uh, mm. who, who are some of the ones that, that stick out to you as your heroes? Yeah, I remember when I first discovered um, Alison Balsam and Ingrid Jensen, and I kind of discovered them around the same time. Um, when I was in Dayton, Ohio, I would, uh, there was like these CD, like old CD stores, and that's like not even a thing anymore, but <laughs> I would go in and like rummage through the CDs that they had in the old VHSs, like yikes, um, and DVDs as well. And I found uh, Inger Jensen, I think it was like Higher Grounds, or I could, I mean, I know that's like a Stevie Wonder tune, but anyway, one of her uh, first albums that I saw, and I didn't know who it was at all, um, but I saw that there was a woman holding a, a trumpet. And so I got the CD and then like my kind of mind was blown. <laughs> Anytime I see that, um, when, when I was discovering just so many different trumpet players and listening a lot more, anytime I saw and discovered a, a new woman trumpet player, I was like, oh my God, I really can do this. And it's amazing. And they got their own CDs and this is great. Um, and then my teacher, Dr. Reynolds, introduced me to Alison Balsam, and uh, I, I borrowed a couple of uh, his CDs that he had of her. And actually, I was, it was before I went to, to grad school the, um, at Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, it's like the, the semester before I started attending um, that for grad school, um, 
Alison Balsam was there giving a masterclass and I got to play for her and it was so great. I was like, I wasn't a part of the of the school at the time. So I had to like, wait, I was dead last. Um, I was <laughs> no longer warmed up, but I played and it was such a great experience. So those two names stick out um, a lot to me right now. Um, not a trumpet player, but when I discovered Velvet Brown, I was like, you're a black woman tuba player? Like, where do, where have these people been my whole life? <laughs> it was really cool to hear. She sounds amazing. I was working as um, a trumpet teacher for a school in Akron, Ohio, and uh, it's, it was an art school and the stiletto brass that came and they are fantastic. I mean, it's all women playing brass instruments. And then there I noticed a black woman playing the tuba and that's how I discovered um, Velvet Brown. Um, so yeah, those three names are probably the most influential uh, to me right now and have been in my career. Yeah, well, I, I think that's, a, that's the importance of uh, you know being that example because you never know that there's there's always someone that can identify with you that you know if if you're out there and you're making making your statement and and, and doing your thing then it you know it that that's you never know who you're going to impact mm -hmm. um you know and and it's the one thing that that I've I've been noticing in in our conversation uh is that I mean there is a definite passion for what you do and a love for what you do and it comes through in everything that you say mm -hmm. and um i think that uh that that's a key thing for someone who in addition to their performance because that needs to come out in your music that authenticity but also as an educator because i know you you are an educator as well mm -hmm. so um I, when you get into the education side of things um what are the what are the main things that, that you're trying to get across to your students other than this is how you, you know, this is how you finger a high F sharp? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, fun. Like, it has to be fun. Now, practicing is not always going to be fun. But when we are making music, if you're not feeling joy and having fun, then something is wrong something is wrong. Um, so I, I think that's one of the most important things. I mean, what I try to remember when I am practicing um, is that I have to have fun still. Like, and when this stops becoming fun, then I need to reevaluate things. But if it is fun, then we will generally just want to keep practicing and getting better and trying things and, you know, um, being playful, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really, really important. Um, I think I learned a lot from my students. Uh, I teach a wide range. I love my beginner students. They keep everything like new and fresh for me. And they are always really inquisitive and they ask me questions. And I'm like, I don't know, but let's figure this out together. <laughs> you know, I never have all the answers. Um, and I, I really love teaching because of that. Like they bring, um, my students bring like uh, the wonder in lessons often. And then that keeps me, uh, interested and intrigued as well. So it's kind of like a um, 
like a cycle, a circular thing, a give and take thing and lessons. But for um, for my my older students, it's keeping it fun. I feel like now to a lot of um, high school and college age students got a lot going on. Their schedules are like jam packed with just stuff. And it's easy to have um, trumpet just to be another thing on the list that you have to do that week. And um, like it shouldn't it shouldn't feel like that. It's going to feel like that sometimes, but it it should be more joy than it feels like a task to check off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because I think um there, yeah i believe in the power of words mm. and uh sometimes uh what we have to do is we have to consider the, the, the when we the words that we use uh and the meanings that those words have to us and sometimes it's, it's a very subliminal kind of concept it's, it's a more visceral thing and so like for most people the word practice uh has a negative connotation mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it. So you take the words practice and play. And, and I've talked about this before on, on the podcast that, you know, my background is in uh, a big part of my background uh, is in martial arts. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Chinese uh, martial arts, they, they don't use the word practice. The, mm -hmm. the, like the, the It's play. So the Chinese word lian is mm -hmm. play. And so they say, we wouldn't say, are you going to practice your Kung Fu today? It's like, you know, you, are you going to play Kung Fu today. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's just sometimes it's that that little mind shift that occurs when when you use the word because mm -hmm. when it's like, eh, I got to practice again. That's different <laughs> than oh, I get to play my horn again. Yes. Uh, so it's the the fun part is I think very very critical. Now of course there has to be the balance. Yeah. Uh, of you know uh, doing just playing tends to be, you know, if we're just given the option of playing, we're going to do what we're good at and mm -hmm. enjoy, as opposed to when we practice, um, we're trying to make improvement. We have to do the stuff that we suck at. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's why I love that. There's a, a phrase that, that I've used a lot is embrace the suck. <laughs> yes, that's real. And when you learn to do that, when you, when you, when you learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable, then that's when you start to make progress. When yep. you, I, like for me, I look at if there's something that I can't do, then that's exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, because if I can do it, then it, it, it becomes boring. It, it yeah. Joy in being able to do it. It's, it's pulling off that lick that, you know, six <laughs> weeks ago you couldn't play. When, yep. you, when you suddenly nail it, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> the practice is paying yep. off. <laughs> yes so you know as as an educator and as a mentor because i definitely got that vibe from you that you you're more of the mentor educator than just yeah. the the you know here play clark three yeah know. yes <laughs> um, so so what are some of the tools that you use to help people to learn how to embrace the suck mm. Mm. I don't, I don't know if I would like say it's a tool, but I, I have had some like personal experiences where I have felt comfortable enough in my lessons to just play. And I've had some lessons like personal lessons <clears throat> where I was just so scared to mess up 
And I always try to make my my lesson environments for my students a place first where they just know that they can just come and play. Like, I don't care if you miss a note. Like, we can fix notes. It's fine. I don't care. Um, but I, I need the students to come in and just be comfortable playing because if they're not comfortable in, in the space with me playing, then we can't really learn. We're not going to be able to have a very great lesson. Um, so I don't I, I just want the space that that I kind of cultivate for my students to be like a, a safe, fun, creative space. Uh, we can both mess up and it's fine. Like no one's listening to judge, <laughs> but we're just listening to work on the things that you want to. Um, and I, I think it's important just to let the students kind of kind of lead the lesson. And uh, I always uh, check in with my students and see what they want to work on. And for my younger students is asking like, what type of music do you want to learn on trumpet? because that's what's important, you know? Um, I don't wanna just feed you a bunch of stuff that I have. I can do that all day, but it'll be more fun for me and you if you let me know like what you're into right now. If you wanna learn some game and music, we can do that. Cause there's, you know, you can learn technique and all the technical stuff and skills and any type of music. But if the students aren't like engaged and into what, you're teaching them or trying to show them it's never going to stick and it's not as well received. So um, I think for me, just cultivating that space, that safe and fun, comfortable space is, is the most important. And I think we learn better that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was having a conversation uh, recently with uh, a friend of mine who's a bass player, bass and guitar. And uh, he messaged me and say, Hey man, I just taught my first trumpet lesson today. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Um, and he went on and explained it was like it was about improvisation and, yeah. and, and, and uh, melodic concepts. And and uh, he he had said something about, well, yeah, I told him yeah he needs to go listen to some Louis Armstrong, which I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I would do that. Yeah. And, and and it wasn't you know because he's kind of at a stage in his plan you know, he's you know he's an older guy he's been playing for a long time it's like yeah you got to go back to the roots and I'm like well yeah eventually but honestly I think you know depending on what kind of music you know if if they're mm -hmm. if they're more into like pop or or you know yeah. things like that you know maybe you should have told him to go listen to uh, Roy Hargrove's work on D'Angelo's Voodoo yeah 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 that would be much more approachable. It would be much more directly applicable. Mm -hmm. It's still damn good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you get, you got to get them in and you got to make it something that, that they can see the usefulness of because yeah. you go back and listen to pops, you know, it, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could go back and actually, even though he was still alive when I was, you know, first starting to play trumpet, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't appreciate what he was doing, you know, and now that I've been able to go back and listen to him and, yeah. and Roy Eldridge and Sweets Edison and, and people oh. like that. Yeah, I can see how stuff has progressed and how it has evolved into what we call modern trumpet playing. Yeah. But, but at that point, I just, you know, I wasn't ready for it, you mm -hmm. know. I needed something that spoke to me and, and my immediate kind of needs and concerns. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like that approach of just like, you know, let, let's find out 
what what's going to get them excited yeah and i've discovered so much from my from, like, there's so much good music uh i mean there's like there's a lot of bad music but there's so much good music out here <laughs> and a lot of my i've learned a lot from my my students so yeah so you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me. Like, you know, you, you you're born you're born in Cleveland. Uh, you go away to school, and now you're back in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially if they're trying to build a career as a freelancer or things like that, they want to, you know, I want to be in New York, I want to be in Nashville, I want to be in LA. Uh, mm-hmm. But but you're you're back home. So um, I mean, was that uh, how 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 did you come about that that to that conclusion and and how do you see yourself as being uh like a a part of the cleveland music scene uh and and not just the performance but 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 how do you see yourself as being an impact uh to the the music that's coming out of cleveland now Mm. um so out of out of grad school i was working at uh office max and <laughs> I could either at the time stayed in the, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, tried to build my career up um, in that area. I didn't really know too many people there. I knew a couple people, but I would have definitely had to um, build my way up and still working at Office Max, which is not glamorous. Um, or I, I had an opportunity to take... Uh, interview at Cuyahoga Community College. They were looking for another trumpet professor. I was classically trained fresh out of grad school and uh, they were looking for someone uh, more on the classical side, which was me. I didn't do any jazz in college. I didn't I didn't do any jazz until after college, um, except with my father's band. Um, but it was kind of like the perfect opportunity for me to take a job um, even though they didn't really have any students for me at the time, I think there was maybe one student that wanted non-jazz lessons. Uh, so I I could either uh, move back to Cleveland and, and take that job at Tri-C or stay in Cincinnati and continue working at Office Max with no students. Uh, so that is what brought me back to Cleveland. Um, I'd say in, I moved back to Cleveland in 2009. And I think for the first mm, 10 years, maybe maybe even seven years, I could have went anywhere the opportunity took me. Um, but now I, I've worked really hard to build my career here. And I'm definitely at a point where I don't I don't think I would move unless something like crazy amazing happened and took me uh, to a different um, part of the states or or out of the states. Um, but I I've got a, a great handle of my career here and I'm able to perform. I'm able to collaborate. Um, and I don't have to eat rice every day. Like I remember I have a, a friend who moved to New York. I mean, I have several friends that, that moved to New York, but this one in particular years ago, and they were telling me how great New York was, but they were like broke and, you know, trying to make it in the city and had to eat rice for a month. And I was like, well, 
I mean, I don't want to eat, I like meat. Like I want to eat a steak and still travel. <laughs> like that does not sound appealing to me. So like I, New York, obviously and, and LA and all Nashville, great cities with great, you know, music communities. But I felt like I was here in Cleveland. The rent is cheap. Uh, and I can still play my trumpet and I can still teach. So that is largely what has kept me here. Um, yeah, because I like to eat meat. <laughs> I was just like, how does that, that doesn't make <laughs> Well, you know, you, you had alluded to this earlier. You're talking about, you know, success and, you know, what is success. And uh, this is a topic that I, I love to talk about and think about um, because, you know, success, uh, success is an individual thing. And, you, and I think you have to have a very clear definition of success. And for years, I struggled with this thing about like uh, being a, being able to call myself a professional trumpet player. Mm -hmm. Because to me, you know, I couldn't be a professional trumpet player unless I was a, you know, Wayne Bergeron or Alan Bazzuti or Michael Sachs or, you know, yeah, th those are professional trumpet players. Yeah. You know? um, but then I had to, to, to uh, yeah. And then, you know, what is a successful career? You know, if I'm not playing on Broadway or if I'm not playing at the Met or if I'm not doing, you know, soundstage work, then I'm not, you know, I'm not successful. Mm -hmm. um, and it's coming to that that realization is like, okay, well, if you're getting paid to play, you're a professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And, uh, you know, then if, if my definition of success is that I want to be able to, uh, you know, I want to be able to make enough money playing trumpet to just be able to play trumpet, which isn't what I do because I like to do too many things. Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be touring with a major orchestra or, uh, you know, selling out stadiums with, with a, you know, a major act, uh, you know, to, to be a working professional and to have a successful career. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be uh, teaching at Juilliard to be a successful educator. Yeah. So, um, you know, being able to come to having, having a clarity of what it is that's most important to you. What are the aspects? Because certainly, like you said, yeah, you can move to New York, but yeah. you know, but that wouldn't be a good fulfilling life for you because right. you're going to get your stakes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you can do all the stuff that you want to do, you know, without having to sacrifice so much. So, yeah. um, when when you're you know again with, with the mentoring sort of thing, uh, you, you know do do you see this uh, as being a, a, a issue with with a lot of a lot of students of like having these, for lack of a better word, unrealistic unrealistic expectations of what a career in music can and should be. Yeah, I mean, and I I mean I should say also that it's something that I struggle with at a point as well and. Um, it'll it'll come and go in, in certain points of my career now even um, you know because you know th that's another part of the human experience sometimes that self-doubt and uh, just not thinking that you're on the right path is just something that sometimes happens in our thoughts but um, yes I I whenever I've given talks about my career and also just talks with my students about what 
a music career can be and can look like is um, I just try to make sure that this everyone knows and um, everyone I talk to that is asking about possible careers that you can you can quite literally do whatever you want you just have to know what you want to do um, and also just making sure that my students know that it's like not one way you can have you can do however many things you want to there was a point in time where I didn't think that um, like you can call yourself a musician if you also had a nine to five job obviously that is not true like these people and, and my colleagues who have nine to five jobs and also play, they're musicians. Like that was something that I had to get out of my head because that's a terrible way to think. And it's just not true. Um, <laughs> you know, you can you can do whatever you want. And yeah, it's it's a really important thing to to know because especially with social media now, and just you're able to see what the lives that people put on social media and it can kind of um mess messes up mentally <laughs> and then we we start seeing what everyone else is doing um that happened to me actually just kind of more recently than not I I um I had a lip injury I fell on my face and busted my lip and I couldn't play it was terrible my my teeth went through my bottom lip uh I was it was a bad time this happened in uh in June like right after I got back from the International Women's Brass Conference and the International Trumpet Guild Conference I was in really really great trumpet shape and ready to start my summer and then that happened and then I would see my friends that were touring and just performing and getting all these great gigs and I'm like oh no what am I doing this is I'm not even a musician anymore. I can't even play. I'm not on any amazing tours. I'm stuck at home. I didn't leave my house. So that's definitely something that can just come and go based on where we are in our lives. But it's important to know that these specific things does not take away from who you are as a musician. And if, you know, we're all, if we're creatives, then we are creatives. And if we are musicians, then we're musicians. And we shouldn't base our path and our desires off of what uh, other people are doing. I'm glad I know that now. It, it's make my <laughs> it's making my life much happier. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's one of those those hard lessons. And like you said, you know, it it, it does come and go. You know, mm -hmm. and and it's it's something that I think we all struggle with, and and we will always struggle with. But that's part of the growth process. You know. Uh -huh. Yep. So again, em, em, embrace embrace the suck, embrace the struggle. Yeah. So, Okay. All right. Well, I've, I've got a couple segments that, that we go through in uh, every episode, and I want to get uh, get to those um, mm -hmm. before we run out of time. And um, the first one is uh, brought to us by my uh, good friend Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones, and it's called Sound Off, and it's about approaches of sound. And you talked a little bit earlier about uh, you know how your dad helped you with uh, developing your concept of sound, and then your your professor helped to to kind of dial that in. Mm -hmm. So uh, so from your perspective now as an educator. Uh, you know, what, what are some, what's some of the advice that you give to people in terms of uh, how to develop a, a, a trumpet sound that that's the, the best sound for them and for what they are trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. um, listen a lot to a lot of different trumpet players, but also just a lot of different types of music. 
Um, I teach a world music course and like uh, showing and being able to experience all these different types of music, I think is really, really important for me, for the students in this world music class, and also for young um, musicians, just having an ear, listening to all the different sounds and all the different instruments um, kind of a, around the world, then you can really know like what you want to sound like. I think that helps uh, a lot listening to as much as we can in all the instruments. I mean, you can't really listen to all the instruments, but as many sounds and instruments as you can just to get all these sounds in, in your head. So like, you know, it's kind of limitless and that will can give us an idea of what we want to sound like and what, what type of music you might want to make. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I mean, uh, I know for me, one of the things that, that like, like you talk about listening and, and listening to more than just trumpet, you know, the inspirations that you can get from listening to a, a great vocalist or a great uh, violinist or things like that, you pick up things in terms of like the richness of their sound or their phrasing or, or things like that. And all those things go into making your unique sound. So yeah, yep, exactly. That's that's good. That's good stuff. All right. Awesome. Uh, our next segment is called Geared Up, and Geared Up is brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, Venture, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code TrumpetGurus21 to get 10% off your order, and this is about... <laughs> yeah, you can't talk trumpet without talking gear. <laughs> uh, but again, in a typical trumpet guru's fashion, we want to go a little bit beyond just, you know, the surface stuff and particularly in yeah the the idea of how gear you know, gear being the interface between us and our audience um what's the role that you see gear playing and then how do you approach particularly again with your students how do you approach uh those aspects and and how you make the, how that education helps to make the distinction to to find the right gear for your job Mm. I think I am probably the worst gear person ever. Um, like it's kind of bad. People ask me what I plan and like sometimes literally have to look at my horn to remember what it is. Cause I'm just like, I don't know. It sounds good. I like it. Um, <laughs> so worst gear head ever. Um, when it comes to equipment and get uh, with my, my students also, it's probably, you know, definitely a hole in my, in my teaching. I don't focus a whole lot on it. Um, just like the very basics and, and making sure everyone is, is set up. Okay. I do, um, with my, my older uh, students, um, like I'm happy for them to explore, um, and it's probably because I'm so not a gear person that I'm like, you should try other things, try other horns, try other mouthpieces and do and play on whatever works for you. And it's, it's like new territory for me because I played on the same things for a really long time. I didn't get in a new horn <clears throat> until uh I mean, not not too long ago. So I was just used to playing on my my setup and not really reaching to try anything else because it was fine. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm more adventurous now with gear. So yeah, that's probably not not the greatest. But I need to I need that's an area that I should improve on. <laughs> All right. Well, you're gonna have to keep me posted on your your explorations then. <laughs> <I will. laughs> 
Yeah, because that, that is a rabbit hole. So. Yeah, I mean, I've like very minimally gone down like different mouthpieces. And I mean, I bought a, a BAC um, and I love the sound, but it was also like, I just realized too, I'm always realizing these things that I can sound <laughs> the way that I want. So I don't have to play on, on a Bach. I don't have to play on a whatever. Um, and I really enjoyed the sound of the, the BAC. So I bought it. So I guess I have started my exploratory period. All right. Well, awesome. All right. All right. We have one final segment to get through, and this is brought to us by Robinson's Remedy, rapid relief for your sore and tired chops. This is the Robinson's Remedy rapid fire round. It is a series of questions that uh, kind of bounce all over the place. And uh, I just need your quickest response. So, right. Teresa, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's fire it off. Here we go. First question. Who's the biggest influence in your life that is not a trumpet player? My mother. Okay. I thought she was the smallest influence in your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite book? Ooh. Uh, was it uh, Fear is Letting, uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear? I think that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Uh, uh, the Black Swan was pretty terrible i went to see that with my father we both did not like it yeah i i have not seen that so i've heard mixed reviews so <laughs> um if you weren't a trumpet player what would you want to be Ooh, i would be uh like a second grade teacher okay what is your favorite drink my favorite drink is beer i like ipas IPAs are good. Uh, you can have a dinner party and invite any three living people. We'll exclude your, your family. Uh, okay. Three people in the world, whether you knew them or not. Who would you want to have there? Esran Spotting, Queen Latifah, and Oprah. Ooh. <laughs> There's some power there. <laughs> All right. You've got three additional chairs. Any three people from history? Ooh, um, that's a good question. My brain is not good with quick firing. I'm gonna say Betty Davis. I'm gonna say um, Tina Turner and Michael Jackson. Okay. Um. Lacquer, plated, or raw? Raw. All right. What <laughs> is your favorite quote? We're all in this together by ourselves. All right. What's your greatest fear? My greatest fear is failure. Mm hmm <laughs> You're not alone in that, I'm afraid. <laughs> you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Ooh, that is a great one. Um, I think flying would be very cool. Okay. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Playing high. <laughs> high notes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, kids, 
Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most underrated? Mm, simplicity, like simple lines, melodic playing. Okay. Um, you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Be fearless and keep going. And uh, you're going to give your younger self advice about life. Mm. Kind of the same, but uh, I'll say, I, yeah, I guess part two of that, the keep going part, super duper important. Okay, cool. All right. And a final question for you, Teresa, what do you want your legacy to be? <clears throat> I want people when I'm no longer here and my, my, my name is mentioned in the room to say that I have left a positive impact on the music community. All right. Well, that is wonderful. And that's, that, that I think, you know, of all the things that we can do that as a musician, that's it. We just want to make a positive impact. Mm -hmm. so, um, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to, to talk with me today. This has been great. You're enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I, I hope that one day uh, I can uh, get out to out to Cleveburg and, and uh, hang with you at some point. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll go uh, go down to the flats and uh, we'll have IPAs on deck. I'll be ready. <laughs> I, mean, I can't drink IPAs anymore. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but I can't drink whiskey. So uh, hey, uh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. can meet there in the middle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I I wish you the best of luck in your ongoing adventures uh, as a performer, as an educator, as a uh, a change agent, uh, <laughs> and uh, I look forward to to kind of following your career and and seeing where things take you because uh, uh, you, you got a lot going on. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well. Thank you for joining us for another great episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. And uh, yeah, if you've got a, a guest that you'd like to see on the show, uh, hit me up. Uh, topic you'd like me to, to cover. I'm always open to suggestions. Uh, and you know, make sure you check out what Teresa's got going on uh, and uh, follow the links in the show notes to kind of keep up with, with her work and you know, support her in any way you can, because, you know, I think she represents uh, the future of, of Trumpet and, um, you know, we got we got to stick together, folks. We're, we're all in this together. What's the last part of that? Fire Fire <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, y'all. And as always, peace and slide grease. We out. <laughs> thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. 
and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm-hmm.